0: A house civis broadcasting. Hello, my name is Alufi Haskell de Civis,
1: and I'm Silas de Civis.
0: And today is the twentieth of Nim, and we've got quite an interesting uh, show for you guys today. We have a very special guest from—I'm going to say a long ways away, but not very long ways away.
1: Much closer than you think.
0: Yeah, but also much farther than you think.
1: A different world a world away.
0: That's a a good one, Silas. Uh, We also have a few uh, bits of news, some Alufi's Advice Corner questions, and of course Silas and I are going to talk about uh, the week that we had off, as well as um, not only our own experiences, but um, the travesty that was a little late show with Kevin Capota.
1: I mean, honestly, what were we expecting? We you, left him in charge.
0: You left him in charge. I mean,
1: we who who else were we going to leave in charge? Meeps was Meeps going to do a show? Probably. Meeps couldn't. have. Let's be honest.
0: Meeps would have at least invited something that was not whatever that was.
1: To be fair, though, he booked Merrick, and while Are you all of sure that fell apart, that? Uh, yeah, I, I've heard that he spoke with Merrick and was given assurances.
0: Listen, Kevin lies about a lot of things.
1: I'm fair. Let's let's get off of that. I don't want to really go into that. I, I think if people liked it, we haven't heard. So so maybe it went better than we think. I haven't received any death threats, and as far as I know, the booth hasn't caught fire once. So I'm also assuming that that's positive.
0: I don't know. I, I'm really uncomfortable with the amount of nail holes there are in the floor and walls.
1: I keep finding instruments all around, and I'm concerned about that, mostly. I, I
0: We'll talk more about that in a minute on today's A Chronicle, Chronicle of, Echoes. of Echoes.
1: So, let's just talk about what we did this week. I, I think that we had the week off, and I am so thankful for that. It was unbearably hot when we left, and it's uh, it's not as bad.
0: Yeah, it's actually uh, quite nice in the city right now.
1: This is one of the few times that... <clears throat> I, I agree, but I went somewhere a little bit cooler, so I think that makes a difference. I decided to take a trip out to Carnetho And where did you go, Luffy? Uh,
0: I went on uh, a uh, House Lirander cruise with my father.
1: So, I'm gonna just go ahead and, um... I don't know. Uh, How would, how would we address this? Why a cruise with your dad?
0: So dad happens to be like really good friends with the captain of this house Lirander Elemental Galleon. And he was having to go to Stormreach to do some stuff down in Zendrick and then come back. And, you know, it's only like... A three-day journey either way if you catch the winds the right way you know so it was uh it was just nice and we got to stay for free and dad mostly stayed um doing like adventure stuff and i just got to relax and drink mimosas
1: well that is the why but that is not the why
0: because it was free
1: I can't argue with that. I had lunch with Gembo for uh, pretty much the same reason.
0: We had lunch with Gembo. Ga- oh, was it nice? Did you enjoy it? It, it
1: was good. I, I enjoyed Gembo. Uh, I didn't really get to talk to him much when he was here in the city, and I think that that one on one time, uh, w- it was much more enjoyable than I would have originally thought.
0: Yeah, we went on like a a, a bit of like a picnic when he was here in the city, but I kind of wish that I spent more time with him. I thought
1: you were talking about you and your dad on the cruise, so I'm glad that we rectified that by saying Genbo.
0: No. Dad and I didn't spend too much time together on the cruise. It was really nice. Uh, It's really interesting when you're on one of those elemental galleons, uh, because they go so fast. Um, We were supposed to intercept with like a tropical storm in the ocean, but um, it just, like, it zoomed around it, and it's really weird seeing, you know, like a hurricane on the distance while literally laying on the sunny deck of a galleon just in- enjoying yourself.
1: Well, I guess I can't really argue with that. I'm glad that you got to enjoy that time.
0: And I'm glad that you got to enjoy the, the time in Karnath. What What did you do up there?
1: Oh, I just took a trip. I wanted to go to some places I hadn't been in a long time. And, and so I figured doing a trip by rail was the best possible option. Originally I was going to Zalargo, but of course with the rock slides that caused a bit of an issue. Uh, but I took the train and I always take it in disguise and I met some gnomes there and we were talking and they seemed to enjoy me regaling them for several hours about little facts of the train. So that was enjoyable. And then, of course, Did, we ran were, were into... They,
0: were they happy for that, or were they pretending?
1: I don't know. I, I They seemed like they didn't mind it, so I, I don't know. But it was nice to just talk with them about, you know, the different aspects of the, of the lightning rail. But then, midway through, I was on a trek to Vilyar and we were about to Krona Peak. And suddenly, of course, uh, to ruin my trip, adventurers showed up. So they started running amok... And then there was the Emerald Claw involved, and that whole thing was just a mess. And so, I was like, "All right, well, adventurers are going to solve this problem. Take care of the Emerald Claw. And they did, and then I watched as they decided, as we were cresting a gulch, to dive from the lightning rail into the gulch. And I have no idea what happened, and I would like answers to that. If you know about the group of adventurers who decided to go diving from a lightning rail into a chasm, please let me know. I, I have to know if they're okay, what their plan was, anything, anything at all. It just has been eating at me since that day.
0: So this is why I always pay the extra 50 gold uh, for travel insurance. Everybody says it's not worth it, blah, 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 adventures happen.
1: I did get there just fine, and nothing was done to my baggage, so I can't really complain.
0: You never know with adventurers, though, especially if they're from some of the less reputable guilds. They think that, oh, well, I'm on the job, so that means everything I see they belongs to that. me. They do that. They love to
1: immediately raid, like, oh, I'm standing in a bunch of luggage. Let me go through the luggage. That's my luggage. I paid for that to be there.
0: I feel sorry for um, anybody who goes through, you know some of the weirder luggages. Like, what happens when you open luggage and there's just a creepy puppet inside?
1: Yeah, I, I don't I don't know what to say to that. Let's uh, uh, jump into the news, shall we?
0: We've got a lot of uh, political news. House Denth has been contracted out for perhaps the most extensive security detail to date. Caskell de Deneath stated on Zoll that House Deneath plans to create a five-mile exclusion zone around the island of Thronehold for the duration of the summit during the first week of Baracus. So that means anybody who has items shipping through the Scion Sound, be warned. Your boats will be delayed. Cascal Dinius said that the island will be covered by land, sea, and air, and that they're striving to counter every possible kind of security breach. Silas, get this. He said, from, quote, magical surveillance to extraplanar intrusion, unquote. <laughs> like, what does he think that's going to happen? Kevin's going to host
1: a show there. <laughs>
0: This historic summit is officially called the First Summit of Peace and Reconciliation. But because that's a mouthful, people... I going
1: to say, yeah, that is terrible.
0: Yeah, people have just been calling it the Baracus Summit because it takes place in Baracus. Now, of course, it's called that because it's the first time that all of Corvair's national leaders most of Corvair's national leaders will have gathered in one place since the Treaty of Thronehold was signed two years ago. Other news with the summit is that His Majesty King Boronel has yet to return his RSVP. Both Her Majesty Queen Auralia and His Majesty King Caius III have committed to attending, yet His Majesty King Boronel has expressed that his attendance is contingent on the continued progress of technical negotiations prior to the meeting.
1: I think I know what's holding up King Borinal. I've been getting recent reports that Lord Ere His Majesty's diplomatic and military advisor, is set to retire to his family estate in southern Brayland. He was an avid inclusionist who said that even Brayland's enemies should be there to sign the treaty. And I think that without his presence... That may be leading Boronel in a different direction. So perhaps he's getting bad advice from whoever's going to take over. Or waiting to see exactly what happens with that. I remember, I remember Irtelundus' speech to the Brelish Parliament in 995. The speech he spoke about his daughter, Mara.
0: Oh, the, the, the Mara Won't Come Home speech.
1: Yes. How she'd been captured by Sorakel in, uh, I think it was 987. Uh, But despite that loss, he wanted to bring everyone in. He wanted to say that his daughter wouldn't come home. He often believed that Drome should be included in the discussions about peace. And I know they won't be there this year, but hopefully next year we'll see something. I'd like to put that aside. I'd like all of that tension to go away. So, whoever takes over, they've got big shoes to fill. I'm, I'm certain of that.
0: It's definitely going to be interesting to see what kind of voices step into His Majesty's advisory roles.
1: Instead of talking about what may come, let's talk about what we can do to help people here with some Alufi's asks.
0: I'm down for some Alufi's Advice Corner questions.
1: So, uh, the first question is to both of us. Uh, dear Luffy and Silas, what is your take on Aberrant dragon marks, Leah.
0: Historically, all of the um, dragon marked houses have been very much against people uh, with aberrant dragon marks, and I think that that stems from the place that a lot of these marks are destructive in nature, both to the person who bears them, as well as uh, what they do. On top of that, I think that, especially in the earlier days before House canon became Uh, As prevalent as it is and, you know, during the War of the Mark, I think the the houses thought that they were special and suddenly there's people who don't have a bloodline or are mixed bloodlines uh, who are getting these marks and it kind of steps in on what a lot of marked people thought was their place in the Prophecy. I think that there should be a place in society for people who have aberrant dragon marks. I think that a lot of people with aberrant dragon marks uh, are prone to hurting themselves or others. And I'd like to make sure that, you know, everybody has a place in society and everybody has a place to be themselves. But I definitely would want to make sure that people aren't hurting themselves or others when it comes to that.
1: I think historically there has been a lot of negative reaction to those, because they are more aggressive. But Mordain wasn't a member of a Dragonmark house. There are countless excoriates and members of houses who have done awful, awful things. Whatever house or nation is responsible for the morning, most likely wasn't the Advent Marks. So I feel like we need to allow them to exist, because we're not as innocent as we seem. But let's, uh, let's go ahead and jump into the next question. Let's have a little funner question. Dear Miss Alufi Hello, my name is Beans I lost my tooth and I put it under my pillow and Colgeron gave me a sovereign for it So, I paid one of your subscribes to say exactly what I say with my missing tooth I hate this so much Hath Mr. Silas gone people don't really write this way yet? No, but I guess you showed me. Anyways, I have the most important question ever. You might want to get this one to King Bora now. When is Tifer's birthday? Sincerely, your friend Beans. Alright, we're going to have to make sure that that doesn't happen again. I, I don't want to read a bunch of poorly dictated letters.
0: So, to answer your question, Beans, um, sadly... We don't know when Teefers' birthday is. Um, Teefers kind of magically appeared in my home on the third night of Long Shadows. Teefers was mostly weaned by then, so was maybe a few months old. But I'll be celebrating Teefers' I'm going to say coming home day party on the second night of Long Shadows.
1: Well, I think that, uh, that answers that. Well, let's jump to the next one. Miss Alufi. I have had a small problem with spiretop dragons. Well, more accurately, my neighbor has a small problem with my feeding them. Well, more accurately, my neighbor has a small problem with my feeding them. I started feeding a runt that landed on my balcony ten years ago. And since then, my neighbors have changed. The former runt returned with some of his own whelps, and now they've sent the landlord to my apartment several times demanding that I not keep them. I don't keep them. They show up once mid-morning and then fly off again. I've grown used to them and don't want to chase them off. Please advise, friend to drakes.
0: Well, uh, Mr. Friend, I have to say that spire-top drakes are adorable. Um, but they're also horrifying. You should listen to your land, the word. But the issue here that I think that you should bring up is... They know that if they go there, they're going to get food, which means if you leave, then they're going to bother whoever comes next and, in fact, will even be more horrible once there is no longer someone they know there, because then they're going to think that you were harmed. Spiretop drakes are actually uh, very intelligent creatures, so I would make sure that your landlord understands and and your new, you know, neighbors understand that...
1: Yeah, I don't... I wouldn't have fed them. Uh, they are twice as big as me. I would have never. Even the small ones. I would never. But uh, the damage is done. I think that your landlord uh, would have to hire adventurers and just explain to them that that's going to be more costly in the end.
0: Thank you, everybody, for sending in your Luffy's Advice Corner questions. As always, those of you who have a Luffy's Advice Corner questions, you can always send them in in one of them multiple ways. You can go to our subscribes there right next to your Echoer device and you can write your question on the comment pad or of course you can also send us a gnome mail at housecivis at gmail.com. You can also while you're standing there talking to our subscribe just um, inform them that you want to keep updated on everything Echoer. Silas and I have been doing this thing where we go to this uh, this bar called the Discord.
1: Yes, the House Civis Discord Bar. It's been fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, I spend a little bit of time there, and I've gotten to meet with some listeners, and I enjoyed that. We've met with several of our patrons from our Patreon program there as well.
0: Speaking of our Patreon, you can always go over there with House of They've set up a Patreon for us where you can give... Anywhere from a copper to a platinum dragon to us, so we can keep this show going to the best of our ability for you.
1: Well, uh, I think that does that nicely. Let's uh, jump into the break, and we'll be back with our special guest today. It is good to be back, and we're back with our first guest, Taylora Cloudsinger. Taylora, thank you for coming in and taking the time to talk with us today.
0: It's my personal pleasure. So, Taylora, you're um, a professor with Greek university um well
2: professor lecturer uh student depends on who you ask i am a, how to put it it's uh, not the easiest to render in common but I, i'll try my best i well perhaps i should introduce myself a little bit further because i don't know if uh your your listeners know that uh I'm usually a little more sea-bound.
0: Yes, you are, uh, you are, um, a merfolk, um, a calomer, I- is that correct? Yes,
2: I am, uh, Terara Cloudsinger, a siren of the Calamer. and I have, um, taken up a position with Madrid University as a lecturer on the Thunder Sea. Uh, this is essentially an exchange for, uh, my ability to study there.
0: Well,
1: that is partially why we brought you on. I did take a moment to read through the most recent Thundersea merfolk report, and it was very enlightening. And there was a lot about merfolk I didn't know, so we wanted to take the time to find out a little more and get that perspective. I know I've been to still I'm sure you've been to Stillwater.
0: Oh, yes, wonderful place.
1: I've spent a little bit of time in that district, but it's
0: not really a district.
1: I mean, but it is a district. Just because it fell into the water doesn't mean it isn't a district anymore.
0: Oh, so what, we're considering the the, the Crystal Tower is still, still a tower, but it doesn't exist anymore.
1: They still pay taxes, and the air bubbles mean that you can go there and actually do things. I, I wouldn't say you can do that with Crystal Tower. Can you step foot on Crystal Tower?
0: So paying taxes is, is what makes you, like, a citizen of Sharn? I
1: would say most likely, yes.
0: So you're not a citizen of Sharn?
1: Fair point. Uh, let's let uh, I'm sorry, I'm not that <laughs> diatribe. Let, let's. So, why did you decide to come to land? What made that choice for you?
2: Um, as you see, as a siren, I am uh, equal parts a method runner, but also a lore keeper. It's understandably notoriously difficult to write things underwater, so most of our traditions are held via song and stories told by word of mouth. And I. Okay, so
1: similar to the, the more holds then? The, the dwarves from yes. there? Oh, okay.
2: Yes, very similar. And while this method is very useful, especially for the people who are able to sing underwater, I decided some years ago that I wanted to make sure that our stories would not be able to just disappear if, say, oh, I don't know, a plague broke out or something terrible happened to a a number of pods, we would lose so much history. And so I decided that I wanted to learn how to write and to record and perhaps find a way to make writing underwater easier. And that is the premise of my research at Margrave University.
1: Uh, Why did you choose uh, Morgrave University? They're an all right university, Uh, although they do sponsor us. I need that to be noted. They are a sponsor of the show and we love them. Uh, there there are other opportunities for education throughout the nations of Corvair. Why choose Morgre?
2: Uh, I won't deny it's mostly because it is still on the water. I've always mostly been uh, bound to the Thunder Sea. It's only been in very recently that I've even had legs. Uh, and uh, I think going further into Corvair, into the landmass, would have been a little too much for me at the time. Also, I have uh, siblings, well, not blood siblings, but siblings who work at the docks, other sirens who work as message runners and guides,
0: and I wouldn't want to be away from them. Staying close to people that you know does make a lot of sense. Some of the things that have always boggled my mind is just like how different or how disconnected like the peoples of the water are from here up in Corvair or other nations even. So something that is so big and in our minds, the last war, what was that like for the Colomer? What was it? Well,
2: we knew of it, of course. It's kind of hard not to know. The job of a siren is to run messages after all, and you hear all kinds of gossip. Uh, There were some battles. I never really saw very many of them. Primarily, we've stayed neutral. We pride ourselves on our our neutrality. We are keepers of uh, peace, in a way, diplomats, and ultimately ensuring that the Thunder Seas remain habitable for everyone. My people were no different in the last war, as your folk tend to call it. I do know that my siblings and my other sirens, they did run messages occasionally between warring ships. And of course, you know, they hired guides to Zendrik and to, well, all throughout the Thunder Sea. But for the most part, we tried to stay out of the conflict. I think a lot
0: of us agree that it was not our work. How did specifically the battles that were fought over the Thunder Sea impact life? I mean, having wars waging above your heads, uh, ships falling into your waters, how does that impact you?
2: A lot of our pods ended up having to swim deeper than we typically would have otherwise, especially during the biggest battles. Um, There has been a growing niche of merfolk who are working as ship divers or as guides down to the bottom as essentially retrieval units. There's been an increasing number of folk who are willing to hire guides for that specific purpose, trying to retrieve things that were lost in battles. There has been some extra pollution, I suppose you could call it, uh, refuse. It certainly kept some of our uh, druids very, very busy. It is their mission to clean up the, the waters, and uh, having battles over it does not make it any easier. I, I
0: don't imagine it would.
1: No, I, I can't see that. Now, the ones that go deeper, I, I, so I guess you're a depth-based society, so the, the calamar are the people who stay up top, and then that... Telmar? Telmer. Telmer. are the ones who swim to the bottom. Is, is that, I'm a little confused. I read the report, but that, that part was a little murky. <laughs>
0: <laughs> murky.
1: My apologies.
2: It's, it's no worries. So the the Kalamare and the Telmer are two distinct cultures within the Thunder Seamer folk. We typically divide ourselves into tribes. So I am part of the Kalakara, which are the Kalamare and the talater are the, tel- uh, the telmer. Historically, on Amania, we would have been very culturally distinct. There wouldn't have been a lot of uh, interaction or between our pods beyond, you know, trading useful items. But here in Eberron, the telmer have taken to the depths and the Kalamare do keep more towards the surface. That's not very traditional, but it is the way that our people have learned to function on Eberron, certainly. But we are very distinct cultures, even though we we trade a lot and we interact a lot. The Calamere uh, stay towards the surface. They are primarily druids, rangers, myself, sirens, although sirens can be found pretty much everywhere. Whereas the Telmare, well, they are tend towards Morayette. Clerical bent, let's just say.
0: Yeah, I had obviously read read the report, and it, it's quite interesting. Uh, similar to like the the Goshkala of, of the Demon Wastes, the Tailmare people worship like a version of the Silver Flame.
2: Yes, that's correct. We call it the Piercing Light. Understandably, because fire doesn't work very well underwater.
1: <laughs> I imagine not.
2: <laughs> so we call it the Piercing Light. I am also, of course, learning about the Silver Flame because I am more familiar with the piercing light. But the piercing light, essentially, the idea is that it is the light that pierces the darkness. But yes, they are a people who are very much concerned with keeping dangerous things locked in the trenches. Primarily fiends. I have not been down that deep myself. I uh, would not
0: fare very well, I think. Deep water scares me. Oh, it's,
2: it's very dark down there. But uh, the tailmare, the uh, that's why they like light, understandably. Uh, some make their own and some uh, are born with a little bit of a light of their own. Wait, like they glow? Oh, yes. What? I thought, they, they, what? They have glowing fins. They have sometimes glowing scales. Um, a lot of the... A lot of people think that it's because of their proximity to the worship of the piercing light or the silver flame.
0: That's, I mean, that's really cool, though.
1: So you mentioned meals. Uh, I I do have my own off-the-cuff question here. Tell us a little bit about food and drink for you. Was it different coming to the surface? What do you normally eat under the waves? How how does that work? Is it mostly just raw fish?
2: So um, I think one of the things that people don't necessarily understand about the ocean, at least at the first glance, is that um, it's not very common for plants to exist. Uh, most of the mass of living things is in its creatures. Um, so most North folk would consider themselves uh, primarily carnivores. Uh, lots of raw fish, lots of uh, seafood in general, uh, shellfish. Um, but we do occasionally harvest other Plants and the like, Um, depending on where you might live, if there's any underwater vents or, say, closer to island chains, uh, you might be able to actually cook things. Uh, That's fairly rare, um, considered a a delicacy of sorts. Uh, It was very, very... It took a while for me to uh, adjust to the idea of cooked food on the regular. Um, Not a lot to to drink.
1: (laughs) I imagine not... Uh, that, that's unfortunate. H- have you had uh, any beer or ale at the tavern? I'm sure that's a very different experience as well.
2: Oh, it's very different. I will say, I have had alcohol, though. It's a common knowledge among sirens that you want to stop along the coast of Zilargo because the sirens have a taste for Brazil gin
1: Well, that, that is good taste. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. The fact that you eat fish, uh, is it, I'm, I'm going to ask, is it just like a whole bite? Or are you just swallowing it whole? Or are you like, I, I'm i very curious now because most fish you would imagine they come up and they eat smaller fish. Are you just like popping little, little fish in your mouth?
2: Sometimes you do just pop them straight out and then you spit out the bones. Oh, you, okay. Large-
1: that, I was curious about <laughs> the bones is what I was actually curious about because I, I was, <laughs> I know that like sharks and things, they eat the bones and I was like, I'm not sure about merfolk.
2: For for larger fish, though, we do typically uh, cut it up a little bit more. I believe that's actually how sushi got started in sh- in Sharn.
1: I, I think that might be correct.
2: But yeah, uh, typically you, you fillet it a little bit. Um, sometimes we do have it with a little bit of extra, a little bit of extra kick on occasion. I'm personally a big fan of sea urchin spines, but you know, there's other things for other folks. Um, r- wrapping it
0: in kelp, a little bit of extra seaweed. Tilara, I've heard that sometimes the different cultures under the ocean uh, might come into contact, like the sea elves and Sawagan. What are your thoughts on uh, the other underwater people? Well, I am a siren, which typically means that I'm doing diplomatic work
2: uh, on behalf of the Calamere. So I have I have been to the Valerian Protectorate to see the Sea Elves. I've been to the Eternal Dominion to see the Sawagin. I've even met a couple Storm Giants. I wouldn't recommend interacting with them though. Just for anyone who does go to the depths of the continent to see, they're very territorial. They don't like people. I do like the Valerian Protectorate. It's a very beautiful place to visit. The Sea Elves are well, they're elves. As for the Eternal Dominion. Well, I mean, my people very much frequent the Eternal Dominion's waters, and we are in, a, in an understanding that we are performing things that they cannot. Because of that, we are at peace. And as long as that peace remains, then, well, we are content enough. It is very fascinating, though, to visit the cities of the Eternal Dominion, um, if nothing else, than to see the Great Sleepers, the, the Kalasa. If you've not seen one, I would not be surprised, but it's breathtaking. Quite literally for you, most likely, though, because you'd be on the water. But it didn't, didn't that one <laughs> But it's, it, it, it's a wonder to see them. It's a wonder. And I would recommend, if you ever get the chance, and also don't feel too bad about hmm, how to phrase this. The chance of you seeing one go up very, very high if you make this wagon angry. Oh,
0: I, I don't feel like I'd want to do that. I, I'm a very well-read individual, I'd say. The people on land have a bunch of stories of sirens, of uh, songs from mermaids and men luring sailors from their boats, only to die in the waves or crash their ship against hidden reefs and rocks. So how, how do you, as a diplomat, feel about these stories?
2: Well, I would be remiss to say that they're not entirely based in fiction. There are tales of my people who have done such terrible things. However, as neutral parties, we really do strive to try and keep the peace of the thunder Sea. And there are also plenty of us who have made their ire against the surface world known. And for those, we, can- we condemn them. We do. We would we want to foster peace. We want to foster understanding. And I don't believe those stories that the land folks say, I think they do it because it is dramatic. It's very evocative of this beautiful creature of the water luring people to their deaths. And I think a lot of people don't necessarily think about why they're doing that and whether or not that represents their entire culture at times so yes those those stories persist but we are really trying to work against it and i don't know maybe one of these days one, one of those stories will turn out to be oh i don't know a pulp romance novel <laughs> well
1: i think we know the gargoyle to do that if i'm yeah, not mistaken absolutely do. all of this has gone rather swimmingly uh, so i think we should probably end it there <laughs>
2: Well, uh, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure to come on
0: the air.
1: Well, it was a pleasure having you. It's very nice learning about different cultures, and all of this has been really enjoyable today. It is good to be back.
0: Maybe you've become intrigued by all of this, and you might want to visit Margrave University and speak with Talara here. And all I have to say is, what are you waiting for?
1: Just dive right in.
2: Yes, and uh, if you ever want to receive a copy of the Thunder in Report, it's available at basically anywhere that would sell books. Well,
0: thank you everybody for listening in, and I hope everybody has a wonderful far. Remember to listen out for those echoes of hope.